you today that you would open your Bible with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we are continuing to put on the whole armor of God. And as we continue from one item to the next, and we study the armor of God in our lives, in your life personally, the battle is intensifying. (laughs) We are discerning of the strategies of the devil. We are aware of what the enemy does to see us fall, but we are also more equipped, more confident in his power. And we studied this now chapter for a few weeks in this series, The Believer's Warfare. The Believer's Warfare. And if you were with us when we began, we talked about the first item of the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10 regarding the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? It is the item of the armor of God that is our commitment to the truth. As we gird our waist, we put on that belt, we tie in all of those loose ends as we commit to the understanding of the whole counsel of God. And then we have the breastplate of righteousness. That's what we wear to protect the heart. And it gives us the components to live a holy life, a holy life in Christ Jesus, right with God, but also a day-to-day holy living through the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, after that, we saw the shoes of peace, or what do we wear on our feet as shoes? They're the peace or the character of the peace that comes from the gospel. What kind of peace do we have from the gospel? We have the peace with God from the gospel. We can experience the peace of God because of the gospel. And then we have peace with one another. So we are to stand firm on the components or the character of the peace that comes from the gospel. Last week we saw the shield of faith, which speaks of our confidence and trusting in God and where we shield our entire body behind our trust and our faith in the Lord. And that's why today I want to ask you now, where is your confidence? As the battle that we are all in today presently, the spiritual warfare, this battle that we find ourselves, ask yourself, where is your confidence? Is your confidence in yourself, in your experience, in your own strength? Because today and the weeks prior, we've been learning that our confidence must be in the Lord, in His power, in the power of His might in the armor that He has provided for us to wear to stand against the wiles of the devil and to be victorious. That we would have our confidence in Him. And today we continue to grow in that confidence as we look at the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. What does this speak of the helmet of salvation there in Ephesians 6? It speaks of, again, confidence or our assurance of our salvation. That's what it's called the helmet of salvation, our assurance of our salvation. And we all today, regardless of what type of warfare we find ourselves in, are responsible to be equipped with the helmet of salvation. Now, why is this item, article, so important in the armor of God? It's important because one of the greatest methods of the enemy is to attack The mind. One of the greatest weapons, tactics, methods 
of the enemy against the believer right now is to attack the mind. The mind is a major target to the Christian from the enemy. The devil wants to get in your head. I want you to know that this morning. (laughs) He wants to get in your head. He wants to see you fall. He wants to cause you to sin. And in order to cause you to sin, and in order to see you fall, he is going to attack your mind. This is why we must wear the helmet of salvation. Now the essential idea for this message regarding the helmet of salvation is that it's a helmet of victory. As we receive the assurance of our salvation, we know that the decisive battle between the Christian and the devil has already been fought and has already been won on our behalf. We know that Jesus won that battle already for us. And we have the assurance that that decisive battle, a decisive victory has taken place because the battle has been fought and the battle already has been won on our behalf because of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of us can praise the Lord for that? That He already won the battle. We're going to look at three major things as we look at this Scripture. Number one, the Roman helmet. Number two, the Christian helmet. And then finally, the battle-ready mind. If you like taking notes, the Roman helmet, the Christian helmet, and the battle-ready mind. We're looking at Ephesians 6. Would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word? And I'll read the even verses, and you read the odd verses out loud together, beginning in verse 10 through verse 17. It says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, against this age, against spiritual hosts, of wickedness in heavenly places. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Lord, today we take that helmet of salvation. We thank You, Lord, because that helmet reminds us, Lord, that a decisive battle has already taken place. That You have fought that battle for us. And that You have gained the victory on our behalf. So Lord, today we wear that helmet. We ask, Lord, that we would not give any place, any space for the enemy to come into our minds with words of accusation, of condemnation, or of temptation. That we would be sure of our salvation in You. In Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. You may be seated. Now as you look at the Roman helmet, to study the armor of God, we see that there Paul was chained to a Roman guard in prison. And he's writing to the church of Ephesus and he's looking at that Roman guard that wears that armor and he's saying, 
we as Christians can use that as an analogy, as an illustration to teach us about the spiritual armor that we are to wear against our enemy. We have an enemy. And we also have an armor to fight that enemy. And now he speaks of that helmet, the helmet of protection from the Roman soldier. Now the design and the defense of this helmet, it was for that Roman soldier that it was now made from bronze, as you may be seen in a picture before, uh, covered in leather for its entire head of that soldier. And it came to its front of his eyes, covered his face entirely, so that it shielded the front of his head and the back of his head as well. Now every time that the Roman soldier would go out to battle, he would take the helmet out to that battle. In fact, he wasn't wearing it always. This is why it says, take the helmet. When it speaks of the breastplate, it says, have the breastplate on, have the shoes on, have the belt on. But now it speaks of the helmet. And when it speaks of the helmet, it means that the Roman guard or the Roman soldier would take on or take that helmet when he was ready to go out to battle. He would never go out to battle without it. I want to encourage you today, even as we study this, never go out to battle with this helmet. In fact, sometimes the Roman soldier would tie the helmet to his belt so that it would be accessible wherever he went. And to help him keep themselves be guarded. Why? Because the head in battle must be protected at all costs. It is very important that the head is protected at all costs in the battle. Why? Because it's an essential part of the body. A blow to the head can be fatal. And we have to make sure that we are protecting the head. Think about what the Lord has done as He's created the body. The head is the place of a person's intellectual power where the mind exists, where the brain exists. And the mind that we have that is given by God is that faculty, is that place that sets us apart in our origin, in our development, in our potential. God has given us a mind and a brain so that we can make decisions, so that we can have a choice, so that we can articulate, so that we can be verbally organized, so that we can think critically. And this is exactly why the mind must be protected. Now the warning for us is this, is that we would be careful that you do not have a shielded body, but an unprotected mind. How many times do we go out to warfare and we think we're ready to fight the enemy? We have the belt, we have the breastplate, we have the shoes. I even took the shield. But is your mind ready for battle? Is your mind today protected against the attacks of the enemy? You see, when the brain is damaged, the heart can't help you. That's why we have to protect the mind. The heart cannot save the brain, but notice this. The brain can save the heart. And what the brain is to the body, so is the mind to the soul. It's that control center that guides, that chooses, that allows us to make distinction and have discernment. So what you wear on your head is important for spiritual victory. I want you to know that this morning. What you're wearing on your head is important for spiritual victory because it protects your mind. Now, that is the Roman helmet. Let's look at the Christian helmet. What does the Christian helmet mean? 
Now, the Christian helmet, if we identify, it's, it's two things. It's number one, the assurance of your present salvation. Write this down, the assurance of your present salvation. And it's also, number two, the hope of your future salvation. Not only does it give you an assurance for your present salvation, it gives you a hope for your future salvation. You see, when we have a lack of understanding of salvation, we fail in the warfare. And here it's important as we look at verse 17 that Paul tells the church, take up the helmet of salvation. If you want to really understand that verse, really what he's saying is take up the helmet that is called salvation. (laughs) Take up the helmet that is called salvation. God has a special helmet to protect the head and the mind of the Christian. And that helmet, he's given a name, which is salvation. Take up the helmet of deliverance. Because salvation means deliverance. And the word there in verse 17 where he says take is now a different verb indicating that the helmet is to be received as a gift from God. When you take it, it is because you have received it as a gift from God. This year, take up the helmet of salvation is the doctrine of soteriology. What's that word mean? It means the doctrine of salvation. (laughs) And when we take the helmet of salvation, we're taking or we are receiving for ourselves our own salvation from God. So what is it that we need to have as we go into the battle that you make sure you are truly saved? Even if you're raised in a Christian home, sometimes we think that that we are saved because we're raised in a Christian home. Or maybe you were baptized as a little kid and you think, you know what, as a child I was baptized, so that means I'm saved. The enemy can't do anything to me. No, here he's saying that you would know this for yourself and that you would be sure of your salvation. How are we sure today? Number one, you realize. Realize what? That you're a sinner and that we need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit, as the Word is going out, what does it do? It convicts you of sin. It convicts you of righteousness, of judgment now, of your need of a Savior. And then not only do we realize that we need a Savior, then we repent. You realize that you need a Savior? Then you repent. What, it mean, what does it mean to repent? It means to change your mind. You're going one direction. Now you've changed your mind, and you're going a different direction you change your mind about sin. You change your mind about the direction of your life. You change your mind about Jesus. You realize that you need a Savior. You repent, you change your mind, and then you receive Him. You can't receive Christ until you first realize you need Him. You repent and turn from your sin, and then you follow Him, receiving Him. You believe, you put your trust your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know what that involves? It involves your emotion. It involves your will. In fact, John the Apostle would say this in John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as have received Him, as many as realized they had a need, repented, and received them to them, He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. If you've received them today, you are a child of God. Because you have believed in His name. Now, why is the assurance of our present salvation today 
important in spiritual warfare because you have confidence in your salvation in the battle. You know what the helmet of salvation does to us? It gives us the confidence in the battle that we can stand firm against the wiles of the devil in what Christ has already done. What does it remind us? That we don't fight for victory. We fight from the position of victory. And that's exactly what he's reminding us. There is a confidence that you have in your salvation. You can stand firm in what Christ has already done for you as opposed to trying to do something to save yourself. Did you know that that's what the enemy wants? He wants you to try to save yourself in the battle. We can't try to save ourselves. Christ has already done that. And we have the assurance of our present salvation. We have the confidence of knowing that He has delivered us from our sin unto eternal life in Him. That sure confidence. Do you remember in John chapter 9 when Jesus healed that blind man? And it said that the religious leaders were very upset, jealous, angry that Jesus had made this miracle. And they went to the parents of the blind man and said, is it true that your son was healed by Jesus? Tell us now. And they were afraid that they didn't want to be excommunicated from the temple. So they said, he's of age. Why don't you go ask him whether or not, you know, he was really healed by a man named Jesus. And they finally go and they search for this man. And they find the blind man. And they said, tell us now, was he a sinner? We want you to tell us, was this man who healed you a sinner? And, and I love the confidence, the deliverance, the strength that this man has in resistance, in opposition, the confidence that he had in Christ. Notice what he says here. He said, whether he was a sinner, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes the world wants to ask us so many questions. You would come to Christ and you would say, you know, I can't share my faith. I don't know much about him. Well, he just had one simple but powerful encounter with Christ, and he said this, whether he was a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, and now I can see. <laughs> That's all I know now. <laughs> that is the confidence of our salvation. I, I, I may not know all those things, but one thing I know, I used to be dead spiritually, and I'm alive because Jesus Christ. That's exactly the confidence that we need. That is the confidence. In fact, some of us here need that confidence today. But in order for you to have that confidence, it means that you must be born again. That you must put your trust in Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, Paul told the church of Rome that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will have this assurance, this confidence against the enemy as well. You will have salvation for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if you believe today in your heart, and you confess it in your mouth, you will be saved. And the saved man has an understanding and an assuring knowledge that God has saved him, that God has delivered him. The assuring knowledge. Now today, if you have doubts, if you're saved, you will not be able to stand with real confidence when facing the enemy or be effective in the warfare. If you're facing right now doubt whether you're saved or not or, or truly understanding what you're saved from, how you were saved, if you don't truly know this, you cannot stand with confidence against the enemy or be effective 
in spiritual warfare. You must have this assurance. Wear that helmet protecting your mind that the battle has already been won by Christ. How has that battle been won? By grace through faith. He already won the battle. (laughs) And we wear that assurance. We understand that. So it's the assurance of your present salvation, but it's also the hope of your future salvation. What does this mean? That in the battle, you can have a confident expectation. A confident expectation. Would you write this down? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Paul says this to the church of Thessalonica. But let us who are of the day be sober. If you are walking in the light, following Christ, be sober. Have a mind that's not influenced by something other than Christ. Put on the breastplate of faith. They're going through warfare here. And he says, put on that breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And as a helmet, what do we do? We wear the hope of salvation. So the helmet gives us an assurance, a confidence, and the helmet gives us a hope in our salvation. You see, the believer today, us, we can have the hope that there is one day going to be a rapture and we will be reunited with Christ. That is the hope of our future salvation. Because Satan, what he wants to do in warfare, I want you to know this, he wants to bring discouragement in, he wants to bring hopelessness in as weapons to oppose the Christian. So many Christians walk around in hopeless or discouraged because they have not put on the helmet of salvation. And we have to know that we have a present assurance of our salvation. We have the hope of our future now salvation as well so that the enemy cannot come when we are discouraged or bring now thoughts of hopelessness to oppose us or to now have us fall. You see, when we're discouraged, then we are most vulnerable. Know that. When you're discouraged, you are most vulnerable. And then you start to make foolish decisions in your discouragement. Because you've become susceptible to all kinds of temptations in discouragement. But when the mind is protected by that blessed assurance that we sing about, that blessed hope of the Lord's return, when we have a blessed hope that He's coming again, our future ultimate deliverance, Satan cannot keep us discouraged or attack us or defeat us. Because we have the hope of our future salvation. You know, Satan can gain advantage over us only when we lose sight of eternity. This is why we have to have the hope of our future salvation. Because if you have lost sight of eternity, then Satan is going to come and go into your mind if your mind is only thinking of things of this earth. If you've lost sight of eternity, then the enemy can take advantage of your mind. Don't lose sight of eternity. Because then discouragement will come as a very lethal weapon in the hands of the enemy. He'll come and discourage your mind. You've taken your mind off of eternity. That's one of Satan's most effective weapons, discouragement. But when we're properly equipped with the helmet of salvation, it's hard for him to keep you discouraged. You may become discouraged in the walk as a believer. You may become discouraged, but you will never stay discouraged 
If you remind yourself of your sure, blessed salvation presently and of the hope that you have in Jesus. Now, our salvation touches the past, the present, and the future. This is why we understand and study this verse because it speaks of the helmet that is called salvation. Salvation has to do with your past, it has to do with your present, and it has to do with your future. In the past, it saves you from the penalty of our sin. He saved you already from the penalty of your sin. Presently, He is saving us right now from the power of sin. No longer are we in bondage to sin because of Jesus. We are being saved presently from the power of sin. But one day when we're in heaven, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. We're going to live in a perfect state. There will be no more sin. So He saved us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and then from the presence of sin. This is exactly what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us that we were saved. We were justified. It happened already. Just as if we've never been sin- never sinned, we're declared innocent before the Lord. Then we are sanctified. We're separated for God's use according to His Holy Spirit. We are being saved, sanctified. And then we will be saved as we're glorified. We're transformed and go and meet God in heaven. You see how our salvation matters from past, present, and future? And as we understand that, not only do we have confidence in the battle, we also have an expectancy that one day we will meet the Lord. And when we have a mind that is set on these things, the enemy cannot come and gain or take advantage. In fact, with these two things, what can we do? We can do what verse 13 of chapter 6 says. To withstand in the evil day. With this assurance and with this hope, we can have protection against the attacks and the darts of the enemy. Why? The enemy today, I want you to know this, when it comes to your salvation, he wants you to doubt that God is with you. He wants you to doubt that God is with you. He wants you to try to save yourself. But when you have the helmet of salvation, you have the confidence and you can face the enemy even the most dangerous attacks because you know who you are in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8.37, this is what Paul said, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Yet even through this situation, even through this circumstance, even through resistance, even through opposition, even through persecution, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. You can be suffering right now, but you're still a conqueror in Christ Jesus because He loves you. Because you have the assurance of salvation. Notice the helmet of salvation is to be worn at all times. When you go out to battle, you put that helmet on. Every single circumstance, every occasion, so that you can stand in calm confidence, standing the death of Jesus, salvation, the death of Jesus saved you. That the resurrected Christ is keeping you. That the coming Christ will preserve you through eternity. It is the helmet of salvation. It is our deliverance in the battle. When we think about the helmet of salvation, I want you to think of that word, deliverance. That He has already provided the deliverance. That the deliverance is in Jesus. In fact, in the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel 
had turned their back on the Lord and the enemy was coming against them. They were held in bondage. The Lord was waiting for a man to stand up, to stand forward, to go forward, to fight for righteousness. And no one stood up. In Isaiah it would say that no one stood up for righteousness, that no one stood forward for the battle. So God Himself, it says in Isaiah, He prepares Himself for the battle to destroy His enemies and to protect His people. How does He prepare Himself to the Lord? In Isaiah 59.17, this is a very important verse, Isaiah 59.17, as He prepares Himself to go out to battle against the enemy and protect His people. Isaiah 59.17 says this, for He has put on righteousness, this is the armor that He puts on, as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on His head. What does He put on His head? The Lord, the helmet of deliverance. The Lord Himself wears that helmet of deliverance. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with the zeal as a cloak. What does this tell us? That this is the very armor that God Himself, the Lord Himself, wears this armor and then He shares it with us so that we can wear it for victory. What did it say? He prepared Himself by putting on the helmet of deliverance. It is what He wears. But it's also this helmet, who He is. Salvation is who He is. He is our deliverer. It was back in Luke chapter 2 when Mary and Joseph went and took Jesus to the temple and Simeon was there. A man named Simeon that the Lord had said, you will not see death until you have seen the Messiah. And what happens is Simeon is there holding Jesus in the temple and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation who is the salvation jesus is salvation this is the armor he wears and this is who he is so a christian without this helmet is an easy target for the enemy you think the enemy is going after that person that that is walking according to the the lust of the of the world or according to the pride of life the enemy is not coming after that person. He's not attacking that person. The enemy is coming against the person that's walking according to the will of God. To see that person fall. That's why oftentimes people say, you know what, I, I, things were going bad and, you know, I, I thought I'd come to the Lord and now I see things are starting to get worse. Because the enemy is coming after you because you're a target now. And this is why you have to be prepared. A Christian not wearing this helmet is an easy target for the enemy. This is why the assurance of our salvation that is based upon the Bible that it speaks of here protects the believer, protects you right now from false doctrine entering into your mind. From doubt entering into your mind. From fear entering into your mind. So we take the helmet of salvation as God's gift to you and as an anchor now for your thinking. So we saw the Roman helmet, the Christian helmet, but notice now, the battle-ready mind. Write this down. Remember this. The battle-ready mind. It protects our thoughts from satanic interferences. Your mind desires to worship and serve the Lord as you've come to Jesus. But there are those interferences that the enemy is going to come, that thought that the enemy is going to bring into your mind to distract you. That satanic interference. You know what it looks like? In the body of Christ, that interference to your mind? Division. 
You know what that satanic interference looks like when you're all alone? Disobedience. This is why we must have a battle-ready mind. Without this protection, no matter how brilliant you think your thinking is, you think, well, I'm a genius, I have experience, I have so much wisdom, look at the ideas that I think about. Some of you made me think that, that's why you're laughing. Without this helmet, no matter how smart you think you are, you leave yourself exposed in the battle to the damaging influences of Satan's rulers of darkness. Everyone must be wearing this helmet because the enemy comes and he impairs your thinking. He leads you to bondage and he leads you to blindness. I want you to know something today, even as we continue this here, studying the battle-ready mind, that the battleground of all spiritual warfare begins in the mind. The battleground, notice this, of all spiritual warfare begins in the mind. Do you have the kind of mind that will stand the attacks of the enemy in battle? Because the battle-ready mind is the kind of mind that we must have in the battle. People that don't have the right mindset in the battle, that don't have the helmet of salvation in the battle, they lack awareness. And they're defeated every single time by the enemy. So we must have that helmet to have discernment, to detect the attacks, to have an awareness, and be able to be, have a mind that is ready for warfare. Now, the battle-ready mind is one that is controlled and governed by God. Remember that. It is a mind that is controlled and governed by God. What kind of mind is governed and controlled by God? Number one, the renewed mind. The renewed mind. I want to give you a verse here. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1, it talks about the renewed mind. In fact, in verse 2 of Romans 12, it says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A mind that's controlled by God, that is governed by God, has the characteristics the desire to obey God's will, a renewed mind. And you know what a renewed mind does? It protects our thoughts from everything that is opposite to God's perfect will. When we wear the helmet of salvation, we are protecting our mind. We are developing a renewed mind to protect our thoughts from everything that is opposite of God's perfect will. What does Satan want to do? He wants to distract you. He wants to tempt you so that you disobey God's will. And that renewed mind allows us to stay in God's will. In fact, Satan always wants to come to the mind and corrupt the mind. Paul was talking to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Whose mind the God of this age has blinded. What does the enemy come? He comes and he blinds your mind. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. When the enemy comes and attacks the mind, you know what his, his one objective is? Is to corrupt the mind. To blind the mind. This is why we have to say, I want to have a mind that's governed and controlled by God. It is the renewing of the mind. That you would say, Lord, give me a new 
mind that desires your will. The renewed mind desires the will of God. The desires to stay in God's will. Not only a renewed mind, but number two, a disciplined mind. A disciplined mind. Write this down. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, speaking of the mind. The disciplined mind. Peter says to the Christians that were being persecuted, to the Christians that were suffering because of their faith, some even giving their lives because of it, he says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. (laughs) Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind? It means that you would prepare yourself for action. He's saying gird up the loins, almost like putting that belt of truth, that tying in the loose ends or rolling up your sleeves. Be ready for warfare. Have a mind that's ready, that expects the warfare. The loins of your mind speak of that reproductive power of your mind. It means to control what you think about and those thoughts that you decide to set your mind upon. Do you control what you think about? you have a disciplined mind, a self-controlled mind? In fact, he's saying that to the Christians. Peter is saying that you would get rid of sloppy and loose thinking. When you have the helmet of salvation, you can get rid of sloppy and loose thinking. You can gird up the loins of your mind. You can avoid extremes. When you gird up the loins of your mind and you're disciplined, you're avoiding extremes. Notice, the unprotected mind doesn't. It always goes to the extremes. In fact, the unprotected mind that is not disciplined starts to make things up in their mind that are not true. Be careful that you don't have your mind unprotected, that you begin to make things up in your mind that are not true. Or what about this always changing your mind? (laughs) You know what that is? That's emotional. How can you say you're hearing from God if you're always changing your mind? If you're saying, one day I'm going to do this, well, the next day I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) Well, I was going to go here, but then you know what? It got hard, so now I'm going to do this over here now. How can you say you're listening from God if you keep changing your mind? Without the disciplined mind, you won't be able to endure the attacks of the enemy. And you need endurance in the spiritual warfare. We were talking with the staff here this week that, that, about endurance. And people that lack endurance, that lack a disciplined mind, will never finish what they started. They'll start in the battle and then they'll fail in the battle. Why? Because they're weak minded people. You know what a weak-minded person does when they're, they do not have a disciplined mind? They become very easily insecure. <laughs> weak-minded. And you let the devil come into your mind now, and then all, all of a sudden, everyone's against you, <laughs> and you have to talk bad about everyone and attack them. Have a disciplined mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Wear the helmet of salvation so that you can have the assurance of who you are in the battle so that you are not exposed and vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy because you don't have a mind that's controlled by God. Is your mind today controlled by God? A renewed mind, a disciplined mind. What about this? Number three, an obedient mind. An obedient mind. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 
It says this, beginning in verse 3, Paul's speaking to the carnal church there, and he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The weapons that we use for this warfare, they're not carnal. What kind of weapons do we use? But they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. This armor that we're talking about, the armor of God, it is powerful to pull down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And here it is, bringing every thought into captivity. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. There's a battle taking place right now against the carnal way of thinking and doing. And what does the, the, the devil want you to do? He wants you to think the world's way. This is exactly why Paul, uh, Paul tells the church of Corinth, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Turn from a worldly way of doing things. That's the way the world does things. Don't do it that way. Do it the way the Bible speaks. Do all things decently and in order. Have a mind to do things that way. That you would bring every thought into captivity. Now notice, this also has to do with what you allow in your mind. What you accept in your mind. What do you watch that you're allowing that to come into your mind? What are the kind of things that you read about? What, what, what are the kind of things that you're consistently thinking about? All of those things are a part of you holding every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So if today there's thoughts of lust taking place, maybe, thoughts of anger, thoughts of resentment, maybe a thought of, of pride, or thoughts of fear, thoughts of greed, bitter thoughts, evil thoughts, all of those are part of every thought that needs to be brought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. Why? So that you can hear the voice of God. You see, we should be people that have an obedient mind that do not let our mind wander. Don't let your mind wander. Don't let your thoughts be free. Let them be captive to the obedience of Jesus. Every thought, bring it to the uh, obedience of Jesus. That you would say, you know what, that's not from Jesus. I'm going to submit that thought unto the Lord. Because when you let your thoughts be free, you know what happens in the battle? You start making bad decisions. So get your head in the right direction, bringing every thought captive by a mind that is controlled by God. Bring every thought captive that doesn't honor God so you can hear God's voice. You know what God's voice sounds like? God's voice steals you. It, it makes you still. God's voice leads you. It, it reassures you. God's voice sounds like an encouraging voice. It, it comforts you. It calms you. It brings conviction into your life. But Satan's voice, those thoughts that come into our mind, you know what it does? It rushes you. Oh, we need to do it now. We need to do it now. That's the, the voice of Satan. It pushes you to do things that you are not supposed to be doing. Maybe it frightens you. It makes you afraid or confuses you. You know what the thoughts of the enemy sound like? They sound like thoughts that discourage you, that worry you. Or maybe, what about this? That obsess you. Are, your thought, are you constantly obsessing over something? Those thoughts are not of the Lord. Make sure that you have an obedient mind 
that you're bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. The renewing mind, the disciplined mind, the obedient mind. Number four, what about this? The sound mind. How many of us know that today we need to have a sound mind? Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of what? Of fear, but of power, of love, and what else? A sound mind. Say it aloud together with me. A sound mind. This is the idea Paul is telling Timothy. He's reminding him that we have a calm, self-controlled mind. Calm, self-controlled mind. In contrast to a mind that's panicking, that's confused, that rushes in in a fearful situation, a mind that's impulsive. (laughs) That's not the kind of mind God's given you. And Paul's writing to Timothy because he wants him to know that his boldness matters, that without it, we can't fulfill God's purpose. And the enemy is always coming into our mind to try to bring doubt, to try to bring discouragement, to give you a desire to want to give up. Do you know that that's the goal of the enemy in the warfare right now? The goal of Satan is to get you to give up. The goal of Satan is so, to get you to quit. He wants you to quit. I was reading this week a book that just a line really stood out to me. It said this, that the test of a true person's character is what it takes to discourage him or to stop him. What does it take to discourage you right now? What does it take to stop you? Do you have a sound mind right now? A mind that's not easily influenced by your emotions? A mind that's not easily influenced by circumstances or by attacks? Because Satan always wants to come to attack the mind to deceive. The way he deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, he deceived and then he defeated Adam and Eve there. You know who his deceptions appeal to? They appeal to the undisciplined mind, to the disobedient mind. We have to be sure that we have a mind that God is governing. The mind that God controls, Satan could not lead astray. If God is controlling your mind right now, Satan cannot lead the believer astray. But what about this also, a mind that glorifies God, a mind that produces fruits, a mind that doesn't lose sight on eternity. Write this down, Colossians 3, verse 1. Paul tells the church of Colossae this, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind. (laughs) Isn't it amazing when we read the entire Bible, the Lord has a lot to say about our mind? (laughs) When we wear the helmet of salvation, we have to understand that we have a mind that is fruitful because we set our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. It means that you seek the things that are from above, that your passions, your aspirations, your desires, all of those things are things of above. They're eternal things. In fact, he's saying set your mind on godly things priorities. This is a mind that glorifies God. This is the the product or the result of having a mind that's governed by God. It's set on the things that are from above. It is focused. It's a focused mind. But what about a mind that's guarded, a guarded mind? Remember what Paul told the church of Philippi as they also were struggling believers? They were suffering and he was teaching them how to have joy in suffering. In Philippians chapter 4, what does he say? 
Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, he gives us a long list. Whatever things are true, whatever things are now noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely. This is a beautiful list. <laughs> Write this down, memorize it, put it in front of your fridge every time you're going to go grab something to eat. <laughs> that way you don't get easily upset in the kitchen, right? Whatever things are true, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's anything virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, or notice what he says, think on these things. Stop thinking on things that don't honor God. Think on things that bring praise to God. And you know how you know when someone thinks about things that don't honor God? Because it comes, spills, it leaks out of their mouth. And he already said to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and will guard your mind. Prayer will build a garrison, a, a military fortress around your mind so that you can think about the things that honor God. And when you think about these things, notice what happens. Then you have a restored, I want you to remember this today, a restored peace. If you're in the battle right now and you're not wearing the helmet of salvation, you will not have a restored peace. You want to have a peace? You want to have the peace of God? Then go to prayer and say, I'm going to think and meditate on the things that bring honor to God. I'm going to put my mind in the right place. This means that this is the right place to put your mind on these things. These things. You should put your mind on these things. Stop putting your mind on other things. On evil thoughts, insecurities, fears, on people. Put your mind on these things. You can't have a peace when your mind is not stayed on God. You know, oftentimes we tend to become so afraid because our mind, instead of being stayed on the Lord, it stayed on a circumstance or in an attack. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says this, and you will keep him in perfect peace. Or a perfect shalom, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How can you have perfect peace? You can have perfect peace when your mind is stayed on the Lord. When you keep trusting in the Lord. A focused mind. A mind that has now the peace of God. But what about a devoted mind? Isn't this the encouragement that we receive in Matthew 20? 2, verse 37, what Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What does God want from your mind? Your loyalty. He doesn't want you to be, to, to be in your mind divided. He wants an undivided mind. An undivided mind. That you're not following Christ, but also wanting to do something else that you have absolute loyalty and love to the Lord. How do you have an undivided mind? Fill your mind with Scripture. Fill your mind with prayer. Fill your mind with worship. That's the kind of things that you should be filling your mind with, not the trash of the world. Fill your mind with the Bible. Turn the TV off and open the Bible. That's exactly what you need. Get off the phone and open your Bible. Now notice Philippians chapter 2 speaks of a beautiful mind that we're promised, and it's called the mind of Christ. 
Can we turn there, Philippians 2, verse 1, to end tonight? Philippians 2, verse 1. And here he speaks to the Christians. You, you, you guys call yourself Christians, he says. You guys are the church. This is the church, Calvary Chapel Downey. We are his church. And we as his church need to have this mind, the mind of Christ. If today all of us understand already that we're engaged in warfare, all of us here know this, you are in warfare today. And in order for us to be victorious as a church together in warfare, in order for us to be able to see the victories that God has for us as believers, both individually and as a family, both individually in your own home, in your own personal life, in your family, but also in the ministry, also in the ministry, also together as a family, as a body of Christ, we need to have the mind of Christ. And notice what he says here, Philippians 2, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any kind of comfort in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if, if there's any love among you, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if, you, if the Holy Spirit is among you right now, Christians, Philippi, church, any affection, is there any kind of affection between you, any mercy, because you identify as a believer. So if these things exist in your life the way you say they exist, fulfill my joy by being, what does it say? like Minded. <laughs> Like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord. Here it is again. And of one, say together, mind. The enemy wants to come and bring division in the church. If there's any love, any consolation, any mercy, any affection, if you're wearing that helmet, then be like-minded. Be of one mind. Verse 3, let's keep reading. It gets better. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of what? Mind. <laughs> you see how this is awesome? Lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. And then finally, verse 5. Let this together, mind, be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind did Christ Jesus have? He had a mind that was obedient. He has a mind that was a submissive, a mind that was humble, a mind that was a servant. And he's saying, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, a mind that is submitted to him. You know how you can have that type of mind, the mind of Christ, that produces unity, that produces humility? You know how you can have By putting on the helmet of deliverance. By putting on the helmet of deliverance, God's given you a mind. And he desires that you use your mind to make decisions that glorify him. That you would stand on the deliverance that comes from him. A mind for growth, for spiritual growth, a mind for victory. The mind of Christ. Doesn't the Bible tell us that he who sows to the flesh will reap of the flesh corruption? But he who sows to the spirit will reap of the spirit everlasting life. Are you sowing to your mind right now seeds of spiritual things, seeds of unity, seeds of grace, seeds of love, seeds of the word of God, or in your mind, are you sowing corruption, division, hatred, jealousies, envy? You've taken off the helmet of salvation. Today, maybe we need to put it back on and say, Lord, I want to stand confident in what you have done and have the mind of Christ. If you want to have the mind of Christ with me, would you stand together as we pray?